Welcome back to our series on one another. So far, we have learned how critical it is to love one another and that it is less about believing in Jesus, but actually beginning to become love and doing the things Jesus tells us to do. We've learned that serving one another is not about obligation, but about the potential to impact someone else's life in a way where they can feel loved and connected to us and to our Father in heaven. Throughout this series, we've been challenged with the idea that what we put into our bucket is what we are becoming. I know in my life, I've filled my bucket with many things. Family, friends, faith, work. I've also filled this bucket with pride, shame, anger, and resentment. Honestly, who of us has not filled our bucket with some things we wish we had never let in there to begin with? This is all part of being human. We make mistakes and we focus on the wrong things even when we know that we sh what we should be doing. I have to make an admission about myself. I love to be right. I'm not an overly competitive guy, but when it comes to the idea of being correct, I want to be the top dog. You can ask my wife, Pam, and she'll tell you it's true. I will disagree with your viewpoint or the facts of a situation until you admit you're wrong. And here's where it will get even more annoying. There are times when people make mistakes that are not even part of me being right, and I'm regularly correcting their error. Like if you say a word incorrectly or make a grammatical error, I will tell you. I'm one of those people that points out when you wrote Y-O-U-R when you should have written Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Here's what I know God has a sense of humor, right? I have a son who does the exact same thing as me. Sam will regularly tell you you're wrong about things or argue about being right, even when it doesn't make sense. And recently, he did this in the car, and I looked at Pam and I said, Whew, he loves being right. Pam just said back to me, Boy, I wonder where he gets that from. Always wanting to be correct and be right. Ouch! She's right, though. He's just like me. And maybe just like a lot of us listening today. While we may not all be this bad when it comes to correcting people, how many of us should admit that we are regularly looking for faults in people? We home in on the mistakes people have made and their errors more than we see the person. I'm sure you have people in your world that you see this way. Maybe it's a kid in your class who never seems to pay attention or do his work. Maybe it's a girl at college who's always partying and she always seems to end up in really bad situations. Maybe it's a coworker who gets caught up in lies. Maybe it's that neighbor who everyone says is cheating on their spouse. Why do we do this? Does it make us feel better to point out the errors in living that other people face? As we work through these issues, we need to remember that we should stop telling people what they should do and start telling them who they are. When we work to become love in our lives, we need to begin to refocus our thinking where we are less worried about the mistakes others have made and more focused on how we can love those people. Jesus told a story about this very idea. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. 
You may have heard this story. Even if you're not a believer, it's a pretty widely known story. But if you haven't, let me set the table for you. In this story, Jesus explains there is a wealthy man who has two sons. Now, one of the sons comes to the father and asks for his inheritance to be given to him now instead of waiting for the father to pass away. In essence, this kid is saying to his father, I wish you were dead so I could get my inheritance. So go ahead and give it to me now and I'm out of here. Well, the father obliges and he gives the inheritance to the son and he leaves. Now the son then goes to a town far away and begins blowing through his money. Now if this were a current story, he would get on a plane maybe and he would maybe fly to Vegas and begin gambling and partying and, and buying prostitutes. You name it, he's doing it. He's got lots of people around him who act like they're his friends. Now after time, he runs out of money. And those friends who were there for him, they all abandon him for someone else who's got what they want. He's all alone, he's poor, he's starving. So he takes a job with a local pig farmer who lets him feed his pigs. And he finds himself actually longing to eat the slop he's feeding the pigs. I mean, imagine how hungry you have to be to do that. So this son says to himself, hey, my father has servants at home and they're treated better than this. I'm just gonna go back to him and ask him to let me be a servant. So he decides to make this long journey home. Now, as he's walking towards his home, the Bible says his father sees him from a, a long way off. And he runs to him and hugs him and kisses him. And this is where we're going to pick up in the story with the interaction that takes place between the father and the son in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now see, he turned away from his father. He abandoned his family and he ran away. Yet when he was facing hardships and adversity and had to turn back to his father, he was welcomed home with open, open arms and brought back into the family as though he'd never left. His ability to do things right was not the summation of the love his father had for him, but the birthright he had in his family. The father didn't throw his past back into his face and point out all the wrong he had done. Remember what the big idea was for today. Stop telling people what they should do and start telling them who they are. How many of us can say we are like the Father when people in our lives mess up? Now this month is the anniversary of my mother's death. She's been gone now for 11 years. And this story is one that resonates with me. I had a prodigal moment with my family. After college, I moved across the world to Australia. I wasn't living life appropriately. I was doing much of what the prodigal in this story did. I realized I was all alone and had no real friends or anyone who cared for me. So I decided it would be best just to go home. And so I flew back into the airport and, and there's this big long escalator that leads up to the top of the terminal. So here I am feeling defeated, depressed, and ashamed and I see my mom at the top. 
She's so happy to see me. She hugs me and embraces me so tight. And in that moment, when I felt the lowest, she loved all the same. I was home. She didn't point out my errors. She didn't make me relive the pain. She just embraced me and celebrated my return. Now what we may not realize or you don't focus on in this story is that there was another character. As I mentioned in the story, there were actually two sons. The older son had stayed with his father and had continued to help him with his fields and his work. And so as he came in from the fields that day, he saw this party being thrown and he asked one of the servants what was going on. And the servant told him that it was for his younger brother who had just come back. And so the older brother gets mad. Imagine he can't believe that his dad is doing this for that good-for-nothing brother of his who's treated them like they were all dead. So the father comes out to bring his other son into the party. And then in verse 29, we're going to pick up the interaction between these two. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So who are you in this story? The father or the brother? I think we can all relate to this brother's response. We see an error in someone who's messed up, and we're quick to say, look at what he did. He doesn't deserve that reward or that thing. So just like the brother, we point out what they should do and how they should fix their mistake. But you see, the father's response is where we should be aiming to be. The father says, your brother was dead and is alive. Honestly, if someone we loved who we lost were to come back from the dead, wouldn't we celebrate? You know we would. This is what the father was saying. Don't worry about what killed him focused on the fact that he's alive again. However, as people, we don't tend to make this connection. We tend to focus on the mistakes. This is why people are often afraid to admit their mistakes, because they know that there are people out there who are ready to shame them. With this mentality, people only put out the best side for people to see. And so we lose this authenticity of life. How can we really know people if we don't really know everything about them? Remember those people who I mentioned to you earlier, right? The student who couldn't pay attention. What if we learned the student's parents were getting divorced and he isn't sure of his family's future? What about that girl who parties at school and gets into bad situations? What if we found out that she'd been abused as a child and is regularly looking for someone to love her? What about that coworker who got caught in a lie? What if we found out he put all of his life into his career, but was struggling to pay his medical bills? What about that neighbor who everyone speculated was having an affair? What if we find out she had lost a child to miscarriage and her marriage was falling apart? Listen, I'm not saying we need to know everyone's secrets or issues. But what I am saying is that we are often quick to focus on the mistakes instead of worrying about who the person is. Stop telling people what they should do 
and start telling them who they are. And who are all these people? They are children of God, just like you and me. For those of you who call ourselves Christians, we're probably far worse than others at treating people in this way. As believers, we're quick to point out the faults in people and slower to find ways to encourage and support people in their walk. Particularly when we talk about how we treat those around us who are not believers. We look at those people and say, why don't they believe? Or, that's not what the Bible teaches. You shouldn't live that way. When we see how they act. If I were to look at you and say, you know, the Quran says you should do this. Or, Hindu teachings say you should do this. As a Christian, what would you say? You'd probably tell me you don't believe in that, so it doesn't apply. Then why are we trying to hold people to biblical standards of Jesus when we haven't even shown them what the real Jesus looks like? We haven't even told them that they are loved and cherished by a Heavenly Father. Jesus dealt with the same issue in His time. There's a story in the life of Jesus that John records where these religious leaders of the time had brought a woman who cheated on her husband to Jesus, right? And they told Jesus that she needed to be stoned to death. So Jesus hears all of this, and he just bends down and starts writing in the dirt. And we really have no idea what he was writing, but it must have been something powerful, because here's what we see in the next part of the story. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus sees our faults and and our past as just another sin on the list of sins that have been perpetuated by all men. Does he focus on those? No. Jesus pointed out that no one is guilt-free and cannot hold anyone else as more guilty. Yet he doesn't stop there. The last line of this story is what tells us of Jesus' call for our lives. Although we are all guilty, he sees our potential, and he calls us to be better than what we were. In Christ, we can be a new creation, and we can go and from now on sin no more. This is a reminder us that we need to stop telling people what they should do and start telling them who they are. I'm not sure if any of you have ever done skydiving, but it's not for me. I'm not the type of person who particularly loves getting into a plane, let alone willingly jump out of a perfectly good plane. I think the idea of skydiving should get you institutionalized. However, there are people who do this and actually enjoy it. Since I've never chosen to make this decision, I don't know much about it. But in a book I've been reading, there was a story the author told about his skydiving class. In the class, the instructor actually prepares you for what happens in case something, in case something goes wrong, right? Not kidding, this guy actually tells you what will happen if both of your parachutes don't open. Here's where it's interesting and quite honestly gross thing about dying in a skydiving accident. 
It's not the hitting the ground that kills you. Actually, this author explained that his instructor told them that when you hit the ground, you bounce. Well, at the time of the bounce, all of your bones break. And what kills you is when you hit the ground the second time and all of those bones puncture your organs. It's disgusting, I know. It, it's, it makes me cringe. But here's the thing I think that applies to our situation. In life, we're all going to mess up and we're going to hit the ground at work, at school, in our marriages, with our kids, with addiction. This could be in private or a major public failure. We're going to fail. And that initial mistake is not going to crush our faith and our life, but it's the second one that will. The second hit comes when we mess up and the people we thought that would rush to help us and be for us, they actually turn their back and create distance because they are too busy focusing on the mistake, pointing out their disapproval or how that we should be handling the situation. We need to start changing this approach. Let's start being with people regardless of their mistakes in life or their needs. And here's the thing, instead of focusing on the issues, actually start trying to catch these people on the bounce. Don't try to teach them, but just be with them. The beautiful message of Jesus is his invitation to everyone that they can trade in who they used to be for, her, for who God sees them becoming. Jesus chose to give his life for all people. He gave it for you and for me. This is both for the ones who make the mistakes and the ones who are quick to point out the mistakes of others. Whichever brother you are in the story of the prodigal, or whether you're the religious leaders or the woman in adultery, Jesus died for you. He died so that you can realize we are all children of God who deserve love and kindness. So today, I want to challenge you to become love. Tell someone who isn't like you, or who doesn't agree with you, or who you don't think is, is right, that who they are and how they're loved and trust that God will draw them into himself. You don't have to do all the work. God will do the heavy lifting. All he's asking you to do is be willing to share the love of Jesus with others, not just with your words, but with the way you treat them and lift them up rather than bringing them down. Stop telling people what they should do and start telling them who they are.